Listeners beware. There's no turning back now. You've entered the Horror Apocalypse Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Horror Apocalypse, another episode. We are here, we're just going to have a brief discussion today. It's sort of a random one, not one of our scheduled, not one of our usual formats, but um, basically my wife and I went on vacation for her family reunion, and while we were here, uh, one of her cousins, I believe, came up to me and we started talking, and finally he knew I had a podcast, we started talking about it. Turns out he is a big fan of a particular horror movie. Uh, so we started talking about that, and I just I had to have him on. So anyway, um, that's pretty much the rundown of what this episode came to be, uh, how it came to be, all that fun stuff. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ben. Uh, lo- like I'm just I'm here to have a good time. Family reunion. Been enjoying my time here. And um, so yeah, we met. We started talking about that um, horror movies, and you mentioned Videodrome and all those classics. And then we got down nitty gritty. The thing, love it. Which one? The thing. That's your favorite. By far, it's like I, I've been watching a lot of them since I was like young, since I was four or five, even six, something like that. And then I just it spiraled out of control, and now I'm like, oh, I'm all about the thing. That's the main horror movie I watch over and over again. All right. So the thing is your favorite. What is it about the thing that you like? The uh, the suspense and the definite like I guess cinematography because I I particularly take notes like in shows movies um, when the director or writer or even like cinematographer is placing si- like simple things or they're viewing the camera in a certain way so then they can try to mislead you or they can try to make you pay attention to a certain thing and that's what I love about the thing because. Um, they definitely do a good job with that. They definitely make you notice the things they want you to notice and make you and make you forget about the things that are in the shot, but they don't want you to notice them quite yet. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I can see that in, in some of their, their scenes. Um, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the thing, we're going to go ahead and play a trailer for you now. Um, listen to it, kind of get a feel for what the movie is about, and uh, we'll be right back to kind of delve into this a little more. I'm gonna hide this tape when I'm finished. If none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record. Storm's been hitting us hard now for 48 hours. We still have nothing to go on. Nobody trusts anybody now. We're all very tired. RJ McCready, helicopter pilot, US outpost number 31. So that was the trailer for The Thing. Uh, I actually really enjoyed that one because um, it was 
there, there really wasn't much visual to that trailer. So for those of us that are only listening, it's it's great. You've got just Kurt Russell. It's a radio broadcast. You don't really know what's happening. He's just talking, and you just follow along. And then by the end, you're like, I gotta see this. <laughs> what the hell was that? I, I gotta know what this was. So there, there's lots of um, lots of fun to that. For me, I really thoroughly enjoyed the thing because of the grotesqueness of it. I love the gore. I love the effects of it. Um, Michael, I think it was Michael Botton is the, the makeup um, uh, effects creator. He was partnered with uh, Stan Winston, actually had a lot to do with this. And for those of you that don't know Stan Winston, shut my podcast off and don't ever tune into me again. Uh, <laughs> he, he, is, he is special effects makeup. He is a creature effects designer. Um, I believe American Werewolf in London uh, was one of his and probably the best werewolf transformation ever, even to date. So to see some of the, the creature uh, effects and the creature creations and things like that was was fantastic, especially coming from a name like Stan Winston and Michael Botton. I was not very familiar with uh, prior to this movie, but after the movie, I, I love his stuff. He, he does really uh, great work and I love how he's tied to pop culture he's uh, a comic book fan he's this that he he's fans of these people as well I mean he was a fan of John Carpenter um before this this got going so he in the documentary he talked about how he got the job was he went to um John Carpenter and said I'm your biggest fan let me <laughs> please let me work for you and eventually he did he got to, to work for John Carpenter so that that I really enjoy hearing because that sounds like an everyday person just you know doing what they love and that's why I really enjoy um let's talk about the the makeup for a little bit what's some of your favorite uh makeup effects in this movie definitely like the transformations are definitely just like spot on like I can't emphasize that enough like um my I guess the one I pointed out to um my other cousin Finn um there's like just this great uh, transformation when it's like they see um I believe his name starts with a B. I uh, forgot what his name was, but he was having the heart attack during one of the scenes. Blair. Blair, yeah. So he was having a heart attack, and they, you know, clear. <laughs> Arms are bent off, and then that's like, that's that's when you first get a little bite of that ice cream. And then the cherry on top is they're burning that creature. They're burning him down, and his head starts detaching. And you see John, uh, Kurt Russell perfectly turning. And then Palmer goes, you gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> and that's just, it's utterly perfect because the the um, cosmetics and the makeup is just done wonderfully. Um, and it's like, if you, it, it's hard, you know, you look at it and you go, you know, it's like, how they do that? It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Drives me insane. I, I think Blair's uh, transformation is probably one of my favorites as well. It's a bit mostly the, the sound the screech when his head is beginning to detach and you've got all those little tendrils that are still keeping it connected to the body and they're snapping like rubber bands <laughs> one by one and um, slowly it crawls down the side of the the uh, table or the, the area that they've got the body and yeah, I, I love that scene. Did you know, a little bit of trivia with that, that the uh, doctor who's on top and he's got the paddles, you know, clear, he's going to hit him with the defibrillator, um, do you know the little secret that they did with that, with the the arms being bitten off? I'm not. I have not heard of this. Okay, when he hits clear and that the stomach opens up into that giant mouth and the hand, his arms fall in and uh, the mouth closes and bites off his arms. That is an actual double amputee actor. 
uh, what they did was they took a mask of the actual doctor, had this guy wear it, fashioned uh, prosthetic arms for this guy to, to wear. So when that mouth closes, it is actually biting off um, fake arms, but it was an actual a double amputee underneath. I thought that was really, really cool to go that far um, to, to make it look real. I thought that was fantastic. And when you even when you go back and you watch it, like I just watched after you talked about it and I said, oh, <laughs> we got to record an episode of this. I went and I watched um, the collector's edition and it was the this the, that scene, knowing what it was going into that, I'm watching and I'm looking at that guy's face and I, it does not look like a mask to me. I couldn't <laughs> figure out how, how they really pulled it off. I mean, it looked superb. So mm-hmm. this was what, like 1982, one, two, three, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, it's actually, I've got it right here in front of me. Um, it looks like it was 1982. Good, mm-hmm. good job. Um, so to, it would have that kind of effect and that kind of visual perfection in 1982. We're talking what, 36 years ago. You know, that is amazing. It really is. It, like it shows true talent without CGI. Cause it's like, well, we were both talking about the 2011 version. Like both of our biggest problems is like, they take away the best part of this, which is the actual cosmetics and the actual makeup and effects. And they tried it in for, CGI that hasn't been perfected yet and it's like still it's like you definitely notice the changes and you definitely notice the differences and it's like you get a more in-depth change but you don't get a realistic one it's like uh, it's it, in my eyes it's like giving a plastic toy versus you know a Halloween mess to a child it's like which one's gonna scare you a little fake toy or a good like a good old-fashioned Halloween mask yeah I hear you um I I, I did not like the the sequel prequel whatever you want to call it i actually preferred the 1950s was a thing from another world uh, i like that one better even though that one deviated so far from the actual uh short story mm-hmm. that it didn't it's completely different really um the only similarity is there's a creature who wants to, to kill humanity it's in the antarctic and that's about the the only similarity mm-hmm. um they they opted in the original the 1950s version to have more of a almost Frankenstein like creature. They had a giant guy, makeup never really changed, never really did anything. And Michael Botton, as a matter of fact, when he went to when he got the job and he went to John Carpenter, his plan was every time you saw the creature in the 1980s one, it would be something different. And that's because this creature has been all over the cosmos. When it mm-hmm. wants to replicate, it wants to take on the the visage of whatever creature it's it's becoming a part of. So it, it would have this memory, it would have this ability to look like anything all over the world so or all over the, the cosmos. So when you see it, it could never actually be the same thing twice. And you see that in this movie. I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember um, uh, Blair, or sorry, no, Burke, um, he was going, uh, he was talking about, he was writing it in his um, journal that another scientist picked up and was reading to McCready and he was saying, you know, this creature uh, could have been from another hundred worlds, could have infected, killed, you know, a hundred different species, you know, uh, the numbers, the statistics themselves are like terrifying. And it's like, this thing is a, this thing, you know, just takes over, combines, assimilates. Yeah. We actually, we kind of learned that in the first what, three minutes of the, the movie? In the first, like, three minutes of the movie, it's ruined for us if you speak Norwegian. Uh, because when the helicopter is chasing the, the wolf dog, um, 
when it finally lands and it's the dog runs into the American base and everybody from the American base, McCready, Childs, everybody's out there looking what what the hell's going on. And the Norwegian pilot comes out and he's running at them. He's yelling at them in, in Norwegian, get away from it. It's not a dog. It's not what it's supposed to be. Blah, blah. And he's basically yelling what the, the quote unquote thing is. Um, but they don't understand him. They don't know what's happening. And what's his face gets shot in the leg. And <laughs> I mean, they, at that point, they just become panic mode and defense and mm-hmm. they shoot the Norwegian without really um, learning what, what the hell is going on. Um, so thankfully, I don't speak Norwegian. So the movie mm-hmm. wasn't spoiled for me in the first couple of minutes. But um, they do run with that a lot uh, in the movie as well. And it that was a prime example of how it it infested um it looks like a dog you know it's a big wolf dog and later on when that that is probably i think my creepiest scene in the entire movie when they put the wolf dog in the kennel and he's just sitting there laying down propped up you know get his head up and he's looking around at all the other um huskies and wolf dogs and things like that just all calm and then his face just splits open like the demo dog from stranger things <laughs> I was like, oh god so yeah i i I love this movie too. I think it's probably in my upper echelon, my top ten. Um, uh, so we, we've talked about you know, the effects. We've talked about what we we like about it. What else would you like to talk about with it? Um, like um, a lot of the trivia I absolutely adore. I haven't like I haven't seen that documentary that I'm talking about, but um, I'm definitely gonna check that out now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's just there's so many cool facts, and it's like even if you look at a, like a face value, you just look at the cast and crew, and it's like these are all like at least for the most part, these are all people that are like that know what they're doing. They're all perfect for their own reasons. Exactly. You know the cosmetics and the uh, makeup guys, they know what they're doing. They're fans of this stuff. This is a passion project uh, in my eyes. You know, and I'm. And again, I'm telling Finn about this, but like, um, Kurt Russell is like the perfect. This is, you know, in my eyes, like, this is an 80s movie. You know, you got the badass action hero spin his one liners, like, even that end quote, yeah, and fuck you too. It's classic. It's, yeah. <laughs> it gets me every time. It's just like, again, it's, and I'm, I'm in love with this movie. It's like, this is John Carpenter. A lot of people are like, who's that? You know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is the guy who did Halloween. This is the guy, you know, famous director famous even musician um because he did the theme for halloween and it's like and for this you know there's not a distinct iconic theme but it's it that's not what he's going for he's going for suspense and he does it well with the dun 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 and it just it all fits well and it's definitely just like an amazing passion uh, passion project very much like a almost like a jaws you know the the subtle music is what brings you into the scene and kind of makes your heart race because the music taps into the subconscious part of your brain that makes you anticipate oh my god what's heck what's going to happen so you don't really see it coming you know it's coming because the music is telling you but it also lulls you into that sense of comfort i guess Mm -hmm, because it's like it's nothing there's no violin or screeching or like long echoing noises it's always just you know it's very it's very simple and it gets you it doesn't get you to the point it's like something might happen they're just like something's starting yeah mm-hmm. um well just to let you know i looked at it while you were talking and it looks like the making of the thing um 
uh, video that I was watching is actually on YouTube. Uh, so just search uh, Making of the Thing 1982. There's several different. Um, the very first one is about an hour and a half long, and that's the, the full making of. That's the one that I have on the uh, Collector's Edition DVD. There's also Art of the Scene, where it talks about that chest chomp and uh, how they, they did the effects of it and, and everything like that. So definitely you can check it out there. Probably you said you got a long-ass ride on the way home, right? <laughs> there you go. Get you... Uh, uh, I don't know, Finn. What are you gonna, what are you gonna do on the ride home? Probably argue with Ben the whole time. It's true. <laughs> 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 All right. So they, they see that gives you guys something to do. You can watch one. You can watch the other. You talk about it. Have fun. Movies bring us together. They do. Right. <laughs> okay. That joke will be removed. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna leave that in so people can wonder what the hell joke just got cut. So anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I actually. Um, I love this movie. And some of the other things that I learned to watch in the making of the, it was actually filmed in Alaska, which mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. Um, they built the sets and everything in the summer, mm-hmm. uh, so that way when winter rolled around, all that fresh snowfall covered up and it looked like it had been there for a while. So I really, they built it prepping for the season that was coming, so that they knew they were going to record in that season. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, there was actually a whole side of the base that was um, the way it was built there's like a forest behind it there's no forests on Antarctica so <laughs> what they had to do is that you'll notice anytime you see that particular section of the base the camera's low and it's shooting up so that the wall that's behind it helps block out the trees uh, so that's like you were talking about the camera work I thought that was fantastic to, to learn the little tricks that they did there or they would position it so that the camera was um, at its back to the the forest, but certain scenes you couldn't do that, so it was cut at an angle, and it was just very well done. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely like um, like another cool thing is like they, or two cool things that come to mind is um, they made sure they kept the studio at like a low temperature, so even like the cast and crew would be kept, you know, like they'd be cold too, so they'd really be feeling it, feeling for their characters they're playing as. Um, along with that, it's like, um, again, the purpose and the hidden things. They even made sure the, um, like, the actors didn't know who the thing was until their scene came up, and it's like, you're gonna, you're gonna kill your friend now. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that they were talking about in the, the documentary, was, um, the, keeping the, the studio cold, and it was filmed in, in studio, it was in California, in the summer. So how do you do that? And what they did was they air-conditioned and, and kind of made it like a freezer in the, the studio. But to get the, the hot air, the, the breath and everything that you would see, uh, it's not just making it cold. There has to be a certain amount of humidity and moisture in the air to have that breath. And the, the science that went into balancing that where they just kind of threw a mist into the air and you didn't see it on film... But that's what, you know, was causing them to, to breathe out or exhale that, that steam that you saw. It's, oh, it's so well done. I mean, mm-hmm. everything Carpenter did with this, he did with a purpose. It wasn't just to fill or be flashy. It it had a point. And that's probably why Carpenter is, he's lower, but he is probably in my top ten as well. Um, and it's only because he didn't... Uh, I don't think he stayed great. You know, he had some some great films, Halloween, The Thing, Body Bags is probably one of my favorites. Um, but it, it didn't stay great. It, it started to decline, in my my mm-hmm. personal opinion. I believe what he also did, Escape from L.A. 
which did he work on the sequel and after that brief pause and looking it up on imdb yes he did in fact work on the sequel escape from la um he worked on um probably my my favorite of his films though christine mm-hmm. um, i love that movie but anyway um during our little brief interlude where i paused and looked on imdb you mentioned um spielberg yeah he was he did a, like um a thing i was kind of hoping where um for the sequels of um jaws the less desirable ones he was um he didn't direct the the others but he stayed there to kind of watch and watch it kind of i guess flourish and <laughs> for someone else's eyes so he kind of oversaw it mm-hmm. yeah the uh spielberg did the same thing with um halloween where Eric carpenter yeah sorry carpenter he did the, the same thing with uh halloween where he did the first halloween initially which i don't know if you knew this the halloween movie series was not supposed to be about michael myers michael myers was only supposed to be the first episode halloween was supposed to be every year we'd get a new quote-unquote halloween movie and it was going to be a different story each each time it was going to be like an anthology type series um which uh, to me sounds fantastic and that's why if you're a halloween fan uh halloween 3 uh, is kind of like that. It, it had absolutely nothing to do with Michael Myers. You got these haunted masks and this thing with Stonehenge and blah, 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 blah. Um, but Carpenter did sort of the same thing. He stuck around for Halloween 1. Um, they saw the success of Michael Myers and they, they didn't want to go with his idea anymore of the anthology series. Um, it kind of forced a second Halloween uh, sequel with Michael Myers. People loved it. Um, they went ahead and finally gave him the option to, to do a Halloween 3 uh, he kind of oversaw it. I think he wrote it, but he didn't really direct it. Um, and then after that, uh, they wanted to go right back to Michael Myers because it was panned. It flopped. It didn't do very well because people wanted Michael Myers after one and two. They, they'd already poisoned the well. Mm-hmm. So um, at that point, he dipped uh, from it. He's come back and he's kind of oversaw a couple of others, but not anything. He's been uncredited mm-hmm. with some of his stuff. So, yeah, it, there's a lot of similarities with the directors out there. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Keep it going. What else, man? <laughs> uh, I let's talk about like the, uh, the I'd say the connections of the uh, other ones to this one, like um, because you know also talking about uh, John Carpenter, it was I think the reason why he was uh, wanted to do the thing was because he either read the short story, watched the nineteen uh, fifties version, one of the two, and he read the ending and he liked that kind of like unambiguous he was like that scared me that gave you know that it chills on my spine he's like i wanted to he was like i want to elaborate on that yeah in in the making of actually he talks about that he went and saw the 1950s version um when he was about six years old it was like a re-release in the theater so he went and saw it in the theater um fell in love with it and then in school they read the the actual uh story for it and he said this is completely different (laughs) what is i want to make this i want to do this Mm -hmm. so he kind of grew up knowing that at some point he was going to to do the thing Mm -hmm. and i thought that was fantastic as well Mm -hmm, definitely because it's like i I love those like adaptations and differences because it's like for for example there's the birds the short story which which scared me more than the uh the hitchcock movie because it was like that ended with like the again completely different scenario it's like birds attacking but this was a family in the swamp by themselves and it ends with like they're preparing for a final defense and then 
you know, they get back to the house, lock it up, everything's like set in stone, and it's like, you know, shoot, we forgot the firewood, so then they wouldn't come down the chimneys, and then ends, and I'm like, do they live? <laughs> <laughs> Scares me, but um, I, I gotta tell you, I've never read that that story, so that's that's cool. Now I gotta kind of have to hunt for it and read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's true. I mean, books can actually do a lot more because it taps into your own imagination. It's a little different to watch it play out in front of you because you can detach yourself from it when you're reading it. You're lack of a better term you're you're ingesting that visual you're creating it yourself so it's it's something that's tied a little more to you and your thought process so it can scare you a lot more and that happened with me with uh stephen king's the mist um that scared me more than the fog the mist movie anything like that when i finished reading that story that night i slept with a fan pointing at my door to make sure nothing was gonna (laughs) no mist or fog or whatever was gonna come through my door um that scared the the crap out of me um so yeah, I, I feel yeah, and I gotta I gotta look into that birds one. Mm-hmm. That yeah, that uh, for the mist movie that I remember I watched that in fourth grade. So watching that ending kind of traumatized me a bit. <laughs> I was like, I wish I could. There was some way to unsee that. That honestly was the like most messed up thing I've ever seen. And my friend Ronnie, like he read the book. He was trying to reassure me. It's like it's fine. It's just a movie, you know. Oh, the book's a lot happier. You know, it ends with you know the military coming in. And I'm like, I can't see it. <laughs> They're dead. <laughs> oh, that speaking of depressing endings. That that movie, The Mist. Have you, have you seen it yet? Yep. It was uh, Tom uh, Thomas Jane, I think, is the the lead actor. Mm-hmm. Um, that is such a depressing. It. You you haven't seen it, Finn? It hurts. Uh, yeah. It um, hurts every caliber. All right, so I won't spoil it, but um, kind of give our listeners uh, an idea of what's happening right now. I've got myself and Ben, or and Finn, we're all in the game room of this cabin that we rented for, for the family reunion. Uh, we've kind of sequestered ourselves down here so that we can have a quiet space to record, and we're on a rickety card table. Um, and poor Finn is sitting off to the side, just kind of laughing and smiling and shaking his head. <laughs> so he just wanted to listen in, but... Um, you got to write to us on, on Twitter and let Finn know um, he needs to watch The Sixth Sense. I've heard you haven't seen The Sixth Sense. Mm, he was talking about plot twists at The Prestige, and I'm like, and I was like, and I, I haven't seen The Sixth Sense, but I already, like, I know, you know, enough about it, and I, I'm well whoa. familiar with whoa, the plot whoa, whoa, twist. Whoa, whoa. Neither one of you have seen The Sixth Sense? I know the plot twist, so it's like, that's why I paused with watching it. And but and I'm like, I'm familiar with its, like, specialties, and it's like, like, I'm a, Listen, I met M. Night Shyamalan. He <laughs> calls himself M. Night. It's beautiful. I, I couldn't do that. I just I just call him Hate Night Baby. But anyway. <laughs> Good yeah. deal. Um, ah, I, I'm dumbfounded. I, <laughs> it's, it's the, I guess, I, am I is the godfather of um, plot twist movies. Cause that's yes. Started yeah. it. There, well, there were, there were several others, but they were different the way they kind of release their things you know usual suspects things like that had uh some great twists um sleepaway camp if you guys have not seen uh, oh yeah she's um she's a little crazy y- it was she oh yeah All right. <laughs> correction <laughs> so there, there are some pretty freaky twists out there but um for Sixth Sense was one that I saw in the theater. A group of, of my friends and I, we went and we saw it in the theater. And I, like I was telling Ben, 
I, I would get kind of bored. You know, every so often it was like, oh, all right, I don't. Oh, ghost, yay! And ghost is gone. All right, now I'm bored again. What's what is going on? I don't understand what's happening here. And then at the end, that big reveal and the what the twist happened, and <laughs> I, I I walked out with my jaw dragging on the floor. It was such a fantastic twist, and unfortunately. Um, one of my other favorite podcasts, uh, they talked about this. Unfortunately, that movie came out when it did uh, in his library because ever since, every movie that's come out since, we know there's going to be a twist. It's what his <laughs> movies revolve around. None of them, in my opinion, and the majority of his fans have or will agree, none of them have lived up to that twist in the sixth sense. Like, for me, I watched... Uh, split, and I won't go over the twist with that. But I, I, I didn't watch the other movie that you know um, was important to understand. Mm. Um, Bruce uh, Bruce Willis again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like so, you know, I checked out the original movie, um, and then after seeing that, I like I understood the twist, and I was like, oh, you know, that like that was really cool for me. And then he announced the other movie, and I'm like, well, I enjoyed. I enjoyed them both, one, the uh, older one, the one that was important to watch, uh, more than the other. And I was like, you know, all right, I'm intrigued, but it's like nothing. When I hear it's like, again, I hear about Sixth Sense. That's legendary because it's like with other twists, they're not so obvious. It's like a twist at the end that's like would have been extraordinarily hard to understand unless you read like the source material or something. Um, but with this, it's like it, it's there and you can kind of figure out because there's a few pieces to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, it's, we're actually delving off topic. We were supposed to be talking John Carpenter and the thing, and we ended up M. Night Shyamalan and The Sixth Sense. <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but is, anything else you wanted to bring up? or um, to, Let's talk about the tra- the tragedy uh, 2011 prequel of the Ugh. sequel remake. That's all you. Have at it. <laughs> <sighs> so, 2011... And again, it's like I wa- I watched the, these movies in 2016. And like I'm I'm fresh. I'm a fresh fan, but I absolutely adore it. Um, and I was like, I love this movie so much. And I I'm looking up all this trivia, and that's what I'm like. I love. And then 2011 uh, prequel. I'm like, all right, I'll check it out. It's like with the with the thing of the um, the uh, 1982 version. It's you can definitely see like. I can see if newer fans, because a lot of people now, it's like horror movies, they're not scary, and let's say have jump scares and like running at you and stuff like that. Yeah. And you and what's sad about this is like I, I find that kind of true because, um, I mean, again, the reason why I love the 1982 version is because it does actually scare me. That dog scene, every time I see it, my heart is quite literally racing. I'm on the edge of my seat. Um, but so you know 2011 I'm watching these like chase scenes and that's usually what gets me like I'm playing a video game and I'm being chased and I'm like go, 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 go. you know I'm literally shaking you know I'm <laughs> terrified but I'm watching this and it's just not scary it doesn't the dots don't connect because the mystery like the figuring out who's who it you know there's ne- it's never quite there once you figure it out it's like oh okay pshaw you know whatever we should figure out it's this person whatever yeah. the, the creature effects aren't as cool when you first see the thing it's this arachnid uh, creature. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And it's like, again, 1982, you first see the creature. It's this horrifying, 
again, heart racing transformation. It really it grabs you. It gets you. You're you're done. You're like, this is the beginning of the movie. This is the first 15 minutes, and you're you're showing me that thing, that creepy motherfucker over there. I'm done. I quit. Like I was again. I watch out my birthday with my friends, and I'm just there. I'm like in the corner. And I'm like. What are we watching? You know, and then we bring it to two, bring it to 2011 version, and it's like you first see it, and it's just like a it's an action movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's not. It's just like oh cool, they're gonna shoot it, and then and it's like I'll give the transformation some of them some effect because a really cramp, creepy transformation to like there was two of them. They were both in the same scene with um. The, the two guys carrying the one guy who was infected and then his hand crawls off and attaches to his face and it's like the like a part of that terrifies me is that it's like it's kind of like the thing is a disease of sorts and it's like you're still there you're still your soul's still there you're still a part of you but you're you're infected I'm like I can only imagine how utterly painful and terrifying it is to have your bones your DNA your your body changed and morphed into a horrifying creature I'm like I can only imagine how utterly terrifying that is. So then having this hand cover your face, so then you're not breathing, you're like forever suffocating and being morphed. That's terrifying. So that that got me. And then also the again, the face face is being meshed. Again, that guy's alive and he's being again, it, it's torture to me to imagine what it'd be like to be in their shoes. But it's like that's it really. Mm-hmm. Everything else, it's like uh, I'll give the creativity of some of the transformations for when the people are infected and you see it right in front. But that's it. It's like um, the uh, the test scene. Like it's like they went for the for a similar test scene to the blood scene, which again, it's like it always gets you, always gets you. Um, they do it like oh, you know, the person with bad teeth or decaying teeth, you know, they're infected, and it's like okay. And then you know, and there's some guys. It's like with the blood scene, it's definitive. It's like um, Kurt Russell's mid sentence. He plunges the wire into it, and it's like then you find out who's in fact it's like oh god you know you're, everyone's freaking out that, that was a jump scare that got me yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it ends with um with gary with gary or yeah with gary um <laughs> like a, a few tests later he's like now if you gentlemen would be so kind as to not leave me on this fucking couch you know, you know yeah it's great um it, it's just intense and you definitely see that with gary but everything else it's just so you don't see the the same fear with these with this new cast. Um, you you don't see any of the same transformations. It's all CGI forced. It, it's a movie for a new generation, but it's like that new generation a different taste and this. It's it's bad timing, and it's like, just like the the first one again was bad timing because it was a cult classic. It mm-hmm. is a cult classic. When it first came out, hated. Like I remember. I was talking. I was looking at this interview, and John Carpenter was talking about this little girl that was in the like test theater, and she watched it, and she comes out, and she's like, she's talking to John Carpenter, she's like, why, why is it, you know, why does the movie have a bad ending? And he's like, where's the happy ending? And he's like, it doesn't have one. You know, he's just being, and and they ask him, you know, why do you think it, the original was, or why do you think yours was unsuccessful? And he's like, you know, it was the timing, it was the state America was in, it was with the people, you know, the it's what everyone's feeling and thinking and it's like it didn't these things didn't click mm-hmm. so it's like 
but over time we kind of learned to appreciate it as like you know uh, time as we all transitioned and you know time moved on and then eventually it got the credit it deserved as an utterly amazing movie and then 2011 crap yep yeah it's there. <laughs> let, let me ask you something real quick um, and you could chime in too if you want uh, who was the leader of the that station 100 percent we don't know that because he's. This Wait, is. Is he like saying like definitively or in my opinion? Definitively, who? Oh, well, then I know. I was saying like McCready's like the bad guy, you know, like Ben was saying. Yeah, it's it's like it's that's that's a good question, and it's like um. But I, I'll tell you, it, it was Gary. Really, Gary oh, is because remember the the scene where oh, yeah, uh, the they're case. talking about the blood. Yeah, Gary is the the head. He was the head. He did a bad job. He did a horrible job because <laughs> yeah. McCready, McCready just kind of stepped right in and took over. You know, what the hell kind of leader lets that happen? He definitely should have been more like, because he's definitely not spineless. He's not. Yeah. He's not a spineless guy. He's like, he, he'll he give him sass. He'll he'll tell people what to do. But it was like they were uh, talking about the blood. Then you see, see Window running away and he's trying to get a gun. And Gary's like. Uh, I guess everyone feel better. Someone else had this gun, and it's like, Gary, what are you doing, buddy? Like, the like, this is a U.S. research facility, and it's like the government, and it's like, I mean, the government never predicted an alien and you know hive mind, hive mind freak of nature outbreak on this research facility. But he's still the leader. It's I like, don't know about that. I mean, I just want to not to bring to say? What are you talking about, Wills? Not just not to bring politics into this discussion because Lord knows I, I don't like talking politics. But I just want to say that there was a whole big thing about um, Trump getting to read a lot of these um, uh, top secret files and then, what, months later, he makes an announcement he wants to create the Space Force. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, what was in those files? What was in them? I'm feeling that. Was Ronald Reagan, was Star Wars really for nukes, or was that for alien nukes? Right, exactly. <laughs> okay. Just say alien nukes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's our episode, folks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> the, Mar- the Martians got us. <laughs> oh man sorry sorry about that folks for coughing I usually edit those out <clears throat> but alright so yeah it's it's um it's um it, it's a thing <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> alright so um anyway guys this uh, this has been our our episode Ben anything else you wanted to add to it real quick um so much more to it perfect roles perfect everything best war movie in my eyes i'm kidding that's a bit <laughs> close-minded um it's my favorite i can definitely say that um well i think we're we're going to um uh, work on putting together a, a another we'll probably talk about this movie several times throughout the this podcast uh rose for example um they came up with an idea for us to do a series of movies called then and now where we compare originals and remakes and kind of see which one succeeds, which one fails, and so on. And I think this would be a fun one to do. We could do the thing from another world and this thing. Now, we can save that and do it next year and mm-hmm. review, review it together. Or um, my co-host is actually about 1,200 miles away, mm-hmm. so we just keep in contact with, uh, with us and every so often bring you in. I mean, you can record with us. He'll be in Massachusetts. You can be in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I'll be in Florida, and we'll all just record and, and do what we can. And uh, Finn, you just call in. <laughs> <laughs> the, the East Coast of power, and then Indonesia. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's that's that, folks. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Ben, for being on the show. I appreciate that as well. Um, I think you were more excited about this episode than, than most of us, so that's fantastic. I like having that, that kind of engagement, and uh, it's great to, to find someone else to um, in that the that age bracket I'll say <laughs> that you know is, is such a fan and knows so much about you know uh, greats like John Carpenter and, and things like that when it comes to horror mm-hmm. so I, I really uh, thumbs up man I appreciate it well thank you for having me on no problem and guys don't forget to check us out on all of the uh, social network media platform things you can tweet at us at the Twitter <clears throat> you can reach my book on the Facebook and you can also uh, see our photos on the gram of instas did I do that right? I'm all for it. All right. <laughs> Some people might say it was wrong. I'm all for it. It's right in my book. There you go. See, this is, Ben is awesome. Ben, you are awesome, too. Thank you so much for being quiet this whole episode. I appreciate it. <laughs> Precious. I, like, I, was, I, was, I was playing with his hands. He had no idea. <laughs> and with that, we're done. Thanks, folks. <laughs> Have a good night.